In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, today we consider the great and glorious event of the transfiguration of our Lord. And in order to truly understand everything that is being said in that moment on that mountain, you really need to pay attention to the context of the event itself, what comes before it and what follows. So the first thing to note is this in the text. Matthew writes, and after six days, Jesus was transfigured before them. What's he counting down from? Six days from from what? Matthew isn't counting days from an event or some miracle that Jesus did. He's counting the days from something Jesus said. And what Jesus said is this, that he himself must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. In other words, Matthew is counting the days from the very first time Jesus clearly, directly, and specifically predicts his passion, his suffering, his death, and his resurrection to his disciples. And that shows us how important that moment was when they first heard of the Lord's passion. That moment was ingrained into their minds. They remember it vividly as Jesus cements this down into them. He came to suffer for the sins of the world. And this was the turning point for them and in Jesus' ministry. It was that moment when things no longer seemed so cheerful or glorious or wonderful anymore. From that moment, no matter what they heard Jesus say or saw him do, they had these words in the back of their minds. And this is what Matthew is saying. It's six days from that moment, from this moment, when Jesus first broke to them the news that he he has come to die that day. After that, Jesus was transfigured. Now, I think another thing that helps drive these words further into their memory is that it's also the moment when Jesus rebukes Peter. Here's the brief history of what happened. Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Right? Remember this? And Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Right after that, Jesus tells his disciples he must suffer and die. And then Peter rebuked Jesus and says, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And then that's when Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And it was after this, the transfiguration takes place. So I think this moment, the disciples remember quite well, especially Peter remembers this. And the timing is very important. All of this occurs after these six days. And then it says, and he was transfigured. So what does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus was transfigured? Well, the text tells us his face shone like the sun, his clothes became white as light. What does that mean? We've seen something like this before. In fact, we just heard it in the Old Testament reading, but not to the same degree that we see it happen to Jesus. I mean, we know that when Moses went up to Mount Sinai, he received the Ten Commandments and he spoke with God and his face was radiant. His face was shining and people were terrified of looking at him. Moses had to cover his face because they couldn't stand it. But that was only his face. And his face was simply reflecting 
the brilliant presence of the Lord. But here in the transfiguration, it's not just Jesus' face that's radiant, but his entire body. His clothes are white as light. And Luke writes, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as lightning. What Jesus is showing us here, what he's manifesting, is not simply that he talks to God, but that he, even in his flesh, is God. And that's what's so unique about the transfiguration. It's different from all the other great and glorious miracles. Up to this point, Jesus turns water into wine, drives out evil spirits, cleanses a man with leprosy. He heals a centurion's servant. As we heard last week, he calms the storm. He feeds 5,000. And the Bible tells us of at least 26 other miracles that happened before the transfiguration. However, this moment is different from all the others. They saw the glory of God in those miracles, for sure, but not like this. The prophets and the apostles did miraculous things by the power of God, but they were not God. They were men. But here, Jesus does something that he didn't give for any prophet or apostle to do. He does something so unique, so godlike in this very moment. He transfigures himself, his body, who he is, and his divinity shines through his outward form and person, through his very humanity. His skin is beaming with light. This actually happened. The disciples saw this and witnessed it with their eyes. He wasn't just a reflection of that light. He is that light. Now, while all of this is happening, Moses and Elijah are there with them, with Jesus, and they're talking to Jesus. And this is where it gets interesting. What are they talking about? What in the world could they possibly be? uh, What's their dialogue in this moment? Well, they're talking about the last thing that Peter and his disciples want to hear. They talk about nothing other than Jesus' suffering and death. In Luke's account of the transfiguration, he says, They appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So the Greek word here for departure is exodus, meaning the way out. They were talking about Jesus' exodus. That is, when he would soon be exiled out of Jerusalem, offer his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. And in doing this, he would free his people from their slavery to sin and death and the devil. But the only way out of this death is through it, and that's what Jesus came to do. So while they're talking, Peter then says this to Jesus. He says, Lord, it is good that we're here. Now you can pick up quite a few things from what Peter is saying here. The first is that Peter likes it. He says it is good. The second thing you can get from his words is that Peter wants to stay here. He doesn't want to go anywhere else. He wants them all to stay. And then you can hear it in his words, Lord, it is good for us to be here as opposed to over there, that other place that you've been talking about this whole week, the place of your suffering and death. Instead of going there, let's stay here in this glory, in this wonderful moment. Instead of facing suffering, let's stay in this presence of God here. And Peter wants to extend this moment of glory for as long as he can. So he offers to build three tents, one for Moses, one for Jesus, one for Elijah. And at first glance, these words from Peter seem like they're good and loving and pious. 
But I don't think that's the case. Once again, Peter is trying to prevent Jesus from going to the place where he has come to, going to the cross and die and dying for the sins of the world. At the very least, Peter doesn't see that he needs this. And so when you see these words, Lord, it is good for us to be here. When you hear those words in the context of what's happening, they turn quite sour. When you see that Peter, was, that, that Peter has been trying to prevent Jesus the entire time from going to the cross, his words are not as good as we once thought they were. There's further proof showing that even though Peter says this is a good thing, it's not really a good thing. And the proof is that God interrupts him and he cuts Peter off while he's speaking. God the Father speaks from heaven with a bright cloud and says, this, while he was still speaking, uh, the Father says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to what he has to say. So you see how it's all coming together. These, these words of, of the Father always hit me pretty odd or random as God was simply saying to listen to Jesus. And of course, this is a good and, and pious thing to do. We should listen to the words of Christ. But I never understood the significance of those words, what he's telling us to listen to specifically. And now you see, uh, but, but now you see how remarkable and crucial these words are, how loudly they ring in our ears. When Jesus speaks of his suffering and death, the Father is saying, listen to him. When he speaks of his misery and his crucifixion, he says, listen to him. When he speaks of sin and death and hell, listen to those words, pay attention to them. When he speaks of actually admitting, confessing, and repenting of your sin, listen to him. Don't write those words off. God isn't telling us to listen to Jesus simply to be obedient to him or that, that this is something we're just supposed to do. He's telling us to listen to him because in hearing what Jesus has to say and what he will do, then we will see how much the Father has loved us. He wants us to hear that he is going to Jerusalem not for himself, but for us. He is going to be spit upon, to be mocked, to be crowned with thorns and suffer and die not for himself, but for you and for your sake, for your forgiveness, for your salvation, for your good, for your glory. And that's what we should listen to. The preaching of the cross, which is wisdom everlasting. The central point of all scripture is Jesus and how he atones for the sins on the cross and how he justifies the ungodly sinner. If we don't know that Jesus and his sacrifice is the center, the focal point of every word in the scriptures, then we can't read them rightly. So we should never plug our ears to the preaching of the cross, even if it calls us to be uncomfortable and admit our sin and our guilt for a moment. We should never prevent ourselves from hearing the gospel by not coming to church or not paying attention or not bringing our children to hear this word from Jesus, to listen to him. We should be happy to listen to and sing the hymns that preach Christ's cross and death, even if they're hard to sing. God forbid if we, that, that we ever become bored 
with what Jesus teaches us. God forbid we ever get exhausted of what God never gets tired of saying, of the forgiveness he doesn't stop giving through his son, Jesus Christ. And we should repent for all the times we've done what Peter tried to do and repent of all the times we even dreamed of seeing heaven and the glory of God apart from the suffering and the wounds and the bleeding and the sighing and the dying of Christ from seeing heaven apart from our dear Lord. We should repent of telling God what needs to be done and how he should give us glory. And we should repent of all of our ideas and feelings that try to remove the cross from him. The only way to get the glory on the Mount of Transfiguration is to go through the suffering of Christ on Mount Calvary. All right. Now, all of this glory that Peter, James, and John saw at the transfiguration of Jesus was never seen before. It was spectacular, and it was overwhelming, but not for Jesus. This wasn't Jesus being special. <laughs> it was him being normal. Peter, James, and John didn't see Jesus do anything exceptional. They simply saw Jesus, the Son of God, as he really is the God of all glory in human flesh. They saw Jesus in the same way that we're going to see him in the final day. This radiant glory and majesty is his normal, his ordinary self. His lowliness and his poverty is what is not normal. That is the exception. And so that means, so this means that Jesus could have walked around in his body at all hours of the day like this, glowing and shining forth, uh, shining like lightning, glowing at all times of the day while he ate, while he drank, while he sat, while he stood, wherever he went, he could have been radiant like this. Since his birth, he had this majesty and he could have manifested the full brightness of his divine glory had he wanted to. He always had this majesty and glory with him his entire life. But he hid it. He could have shown himself to be like this at every second of his earthly life. But he didn't. Even more, at the very end of this account, Jesus says, Tell no one of the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Tell no one that they saw Jesus like this. Why not? What's going on here? Well, the reason Jesus didn't reveal himself like this at all times, the reason he hid his glory and refrained from manifesting his majesty like this, the reason he told them not to tell anyone yet is because Jesus knew that if he had revealed himself in this way to all people, if he would have appeared in this form and glory, then he would not have been made to be under the law to suffer and die. Had Jesus manifested his glory, his parents, his family, the Jews, the high priest, the servants, Pilate, and every soldier would have run away in fear. No one would have even dared to spit on his face. No one would have even dared to strike him or mock him or crown him with thorns. No one would have even dared to pick up a whip against him. Or hold the hammer to drive the nails into his hands and feet. If he unveiled his glory, he would, not have, he would not have been a lowly servant and under the law. He would have not been struck, mocked, pierced, or nailed to the cross. But this is precisely what he came to do. He didn't come to live among us, but to die for us. 
He became man not to show forth his glory and majesty to the world, but to lay down his life for you. And he didn't simply hide or conceal his divine majesty. He truly and actually refrained from the majesty that's due to him for, for your sake, so that he would be your redeemer. Philippians 2 says it this way. Though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And he made himself to be a lowly servant to carry out your suffering and your redemption. And he has. The God of all majesty came and died in your place and forgave all of your sins. And when he went to the mountain of his own crucifixion, he showed us that it was good for him to be there. How good it is for you to be there as well. He showed you how deep the Father's love is for you, that he would give his only begotten son into death for you. In exchange for you, to have you, to make you his forever. And he came not for his own glory, but for yours. So when you hear the words of Jesus being preached and read and spoken, when you hear of his blessed cross and his bitter suffering and death, when you hear Jesus say that he forgives you every one of your sins, remember that these are the words of God's beloved Son with whom he's well pleased. So listen to him. When you're tempted to think of the glory of God apart from his cross, repent and remember that it is through the suffering and cross that he brings you the glory that you long for. So listen to him. He loves you and he died for you. And he will resurrect your body and glorify you on the last day. Amen. Hear the words of this hymn. To me, the preaching of the cross is wisdom everlasting. Your death alone redeems my loss on you, my burden casting. I, in your name, a refuge claim from sin and death and from all shame. Blessed be your name, O Jesus. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.